All right. Hello, everybody. So good to see you. Those of you who are in the room here at our Legacy Campus this Friday night or everybody online right now, wherever you are, uh, wherever around the world. We're, today is a very important day. I think it's one of God's favorite days uh, of the of the church season for us. We'll understand that a little bit more later. But first, I want to not only welcome you, but also encourage you. We're, we've got Easter in two weeks. Uh, is that quick? And that's a big deal around here. And it's not only for those of us who are regulars, but uh, also people who don't go to church. And we design that service, especially all of our services. We always keep that in mind, but certainly at Easter. And so let me encourage you to not only come and worship and do the things we do, but let me also encourage you to bring somebody with you and to invite somebody. And in an increasingly post-Christian world, Coming to church is a hard thing to do. It's mysterious. It's scary. And so therefore, rather than just inviting, that's good. But I'd also encourage you to uh, say, hey, come sit with me or come sit with us. And that's always a more powerful invitation. And at at all the lobbies, at the physical locations, there are little uh, invitation cards that might be helpful. Also, whether you're online or you go to one of our physical locations, if you subscribe to our social media There'll be uh, lots of opportunities to share uh, invites and uh, and all that for the Easter service. So uh, that's going to be great. But today we are uh, breaking in. We'll see it's actually more related than we think, but we're breaking into our Abraham series. We'll finish that next week before Easter. This Old Testament character, Abraham, the series Far From Perfect. But to get into our topic today, I'm going to have us do something. I'm going to make you do something. So... And this is, this is always one of those things that extroverts love and introvert. I'm a little bit more introverted, kind of be like, oh, great. But you'll get through it. It'll be great. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to share with somebody around you, uh, and, and not just the person you came with. You, you, that's fine. But I'd rather you, they probably already know the answer to this. So just turn around to somebody around you and answer this question. And that is just, what are you into? Like, what do you, what do you love to do? What are you passionate about? And you can't. You can't say Jesus, okay? That's a good church answer, but let's just, you get credit anyway, okay? I give you a gold star for even thinking about it. That's great. But it, it could be, uh, I don't know what you're into. It could be golf. It could be Alabama football. It could be, uh, it could be March Madness. It could be hunting or fishing or knitting or reading. I don't know what it is, but just turn around, uh, find somebody and just quickly share some things that you enjoy that you're into. All right. Well, thank you. I love the conversation that's going on. Anybody find anything in common that you're both into? Um, That's cool. That's great. Well, if we turn that around to if God was here, which he is here, but if we could, you know, just talk to him then and, and ask him that same question, what would he, how would he answer that question? What are you into? What are you really passionate about? And to get to the answer, I, I, I would guess that it might be the same answer that if you ever watch a beauty pageant like Miss America 
and they ask the beauty contestant, you know, the Miss whoever, they ask, what are you most passionate about? And what's the answer? World peace, right? And we kind of laugh about that. Oh, that's funny, world peace. But I think if God was, if somebody put a microphone there, I wouldn't be surprised if he didn't say that exact thing, world peace, that he's passionate about. Because that's what he is into. That is what he is doing. The biblical word for that, the Old Testament word, is shalom. And what shalom is, is what Jesus talked about when he talked about bringing in the good news of his kingdom, is making this broken world a place of shalom, not a place of brokenness. Because God created the world full of shalom, full of peace, full of goodness, full of beauty. But that's not what we experience because of sin. And when mankind chose sin, it ruined shalom. And along with sin came death and disease and injustice and violence and destruction and, and all the things that we experience now as a broken world. But, and, and God could have left it that way, but he didn't. In love, he intervened. And ultimately, sending Jesus into the world, he intervened. And one day, Jesus will return and he will complete it. But in the meantime, he is ushering in what the New Testament calls his kingdom, life under his rule, the way it was meant to be. What the, the Old Testament concept of shalom, that is what God is up to, making this world right again. Now, but when you look at this world, it seems like there's not a lot of shalom to go around, at least at first glance, right? There's a lot of need, and there's a lot of poverty, and there's a lot of violence, and there's a lot of injustice, and a lot of unfairness, and a lot of disparity, and a lot of... I mean, it's, it's not good, right? I mean, there's a lot of brokenness out there. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, certainly that's something that we have to care about. Because it is what God in, is into and what he invites us into. And for any of us, if you're not a Jesus follower, I think you'd say, yeah, I'd love to be part of that. Especially in the part of the world in which we live. Because where we live is not perfect, but we are Blessed in many ways. And that always comes with a responsibility. And I think we know that. We feel that. You know, we're, we're, we are breaking into this series on Abraham. But it's actually an extension of the series because Abraham's mission that he launched is this global mission of bringing shalom to the world. And through his descendants would come the Savior. And in Genesis 12, here's what God had told Abraham. I will make you into a great nation. Talking about his descendants, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So for us, whenever God blesses us, it's not just to go, woohoo, hashtag blessed. I'm going to share it on Instagram. That's fine, but that's not why we're blessed. Whenever we're blessed with anything, whether it's resources or knowledge or insight or whatever, opportunity, power. Whenever we're blessed, it's not for us, it's for others. We're blessed to be a blessing. And when you look at the world right now, that's kind of a heavy responsibility. Because 40% of our world, about 3 billion people live in abject poverty on less than $2 a day. 40%. Three billion people. And you and I are in a part of the world financially that isn't a much different thing. And I know you think, no, man, I am stretched. I am stressed. I, and I get that. But by virtue of where we live, every one of us at whatever campus you're at right now, 
we're in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. And I know some of you are thinking, oh, not me. You know, um, you may be, you know, it was rich pastors, but not me. You know, I, I'm not. But no, it's just by virtue of where we live. We are in the top 5% of the world's wealthy. In a lot of ways, we live in Disneyland. I mean, I know, I know it's hard. I know there's challenges. I, I understand that. I've lived it. I get it. But that comes with a lot of responsibility. The Bible talks about that. Like in 2 Corinthians, Paul lets us know that God, geographically, when he blesses one part of the world who have more, that's what wealthy is in our world, is having more than we absolutely need to survive. That makes us wealthy in world standards. Then whenever God gives us extra, it's not just for us to go, ooh, I got extra to enjoy. It is, First Timothy tells us to enjoy it, but also to realize it is a responsibility because he says, and Paul says, that he blesses, he, he gives some people more than they need so that they then have the opportunity to share with those who have not enough. And he says, so then there will be equality. He talks about the principle of equality, that some of us have more than we need so that we can then be faithful to give out of our resources to those who have not enough so that now they have enough and they can praise God and, and all that. And that's a heavy responsibility in a world like this. Same thing with spiritual knowledge. The same number of people, not necessarily the same people, but the same number of people, about 40%. Out of, there's 17,000 people groups in the world. 7,000 of the 17,000 people groups in the world don't know about Jesus in any intelligible way. I mean, you and I, it's everywhere. Just flip through the radio, right? But it, there are, you know, 40% of the world still doesn't have a real opportunity to hear about what God has done by sending Jesus into this world to make it possible for us to have a, a forever relationship with God. And we have that. And you and I have responsibility for that too. That's the mission, right? Is to be his witnesses and to share that good news all over the world. And, and, and that's what gave birth to the church, that mission. So I'm just saying it's a big responsibility to be us in a world like this. So much so that... It's, you know, you think, well, what am I going to do, right? Like if, when you think about the, all the needs in the world, and there are a lot, it's like, and I'm supposed to do something, and all, I'd love to do something, but what do I do? And there's some options. One option is kind of throw our hands up and just say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't do anything. Whatever I do is be a drop in the bucket. It wouldn't even make a difference. So, you know, I wish I could do something. I'm just, I'm out. I, I don't know what to do. Like one time, I, it was my fault, the wreck. Uh, was my fault because I turned in front of somebody. I was 16 years old, brand new driver. But I, all I remember is the, the lady that hit me. Her hands were up in the air like this. Uh, she's like, ah, you know, not on the steering wheel. And, uh, and bam, hit me. And, and it's easy just to go, I can't do anything about it. I'm about to, you know, I, here we go. So that's one option. Another option is to do something little. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. Like, you know, there's all these things like Tom's shoes or Bomba socks or what you think. I can do that. Like some people are like, I'm really good at buying shoes. Like that's a spiritual gift. Like I can, uh, yeah, I'm not that person. But there's a lot of people like, I'm really good at buying shoes. I can do that. So if I'm going to buy shoes, I'll go buy Tom's shoes and they'll give one away to somebody who doesn't have shoes. And then and I make a difference or whatever. And those are, that's good. That's not a bad thing. And yet we all, we kind of have a sense of, well, I guess, I, I mean, that's okay. But I don't feel like I'm really rocking the world. Another thing we can do, which happens a lot with really good motives, is we can do counterproductive things. And there's a lot of counterproductive things being done with really good motives by the billions of dollars worth. Where actually helping ends up hurting. There's a book 
called that When Helping Hurts. It's a really good book because I don't have time. And it'd be, if you're curious with examples of that because I don't have time to share them, read that book. And you think, man, there's so many instances where, you know, we be in billions of dollars, you're know, just throwing money at problems as unintended consequences that actually can make things worse and not better in the long run. And who wants to do that? But there is another option. And that is you and I can choose to join God in his redemptive work that brings real and lasting change. I mean, I think all of us would love to think, man, I'd love to make a real difference in the world. And you and I can because God is at work bringing shalom all over the place. And he wants to use you and me as his people to do just that. And as a church, we're really committed to that because that's why we're here. It's not just to be here, but to be here for good and to be there for good wherever God has placed us. And so today what I want to talk about is, uh, is just how you and I can join God in that. And, and as we give money and as we give time to be able to realize that there, there's a way that we can do that that actually is super effective. And I'm going to share our global strategy that is really just a biblical strategy. It's not like we made it up. And when you came in, I think you got this. Did you get this when you came in? Yes, okay. Um, and if you're online, you can see this online. But this is our global report. And it is amazing to see. You'll see our partners. You'll see what goes on. Um, and you'll see our five, it's a five-point strategy. But I want to share three of those five points that especially guide what we do. Because many of you do give to our global fund. The way our budget works is we have a general fund. And that's what makes everything happen, you know. And, and so many of us uh, understand that God, te- God instructs us to build our budget around generosity, not around consumption. And to set aside a percentage that you give to, you know, God's work in the world through the church. And we give to that. And so like Christy and I, you know, we, we give to the general fund a percentage of our income. And, but then above and beyond that, we have some other funds that, um, that do specific things. And one of those is the global fund. And over the last uh, 15 years or so, millions and millions of dollars you have given to the global fund that have then been funneled with this strategy that in a way that's made tremendous good in the world and has brought shalom to different pockets of the world that God has uh, called us to, whether it's Ethiopia or Egypt or Honduras or Mexico or Ukraine or wherever it is. And so, uh, I want to introduce you to the how we do what we do and then talk about, well, how could you be involved in what God is doing? Because I think all of us would love to think, man, I like I want to make a difference. Well, let's talk about how. So here's our strategy. Three points of the five is what I'll uh, mention. And the first one is, is we find indigenous partners who are already doing the work and we resource them to do it better. Now, indigenous is not a word we use every day. That just means people who are from that culture. Because here's the thing. All over the world, God is at work. And in different cultures, he raises up people who are doing incredible work. And it's not like we have to go in and do it ourselves. In fact, it's pretty arrogant to kind of go somewhere and just assume we got all the answers. And here we go. Just push people out of the way. And just here we go. We're going to solve your problems. Because we don't really know what the problems are. We don't, we're not the best people to really understand the problems and solutions because we're not from that culture. We don't know the culture. We don't know the language. We're not. And, and, and the truth is God is everywhere, all over the place. He's raised up these incredible people who are doing incredible things without us. 
But if we come along with the resources that God has given us, they can do way more. They can do, go farther, fast, faster. So in each of our, in each of the places we work, uh, we work with a couple of organizations who helps us vet and find these people who are partners that we are the resource partner and they're the managing partner. Because again, they are the ones who know what's going on in their culture. And that takes a while to develop those relationships. Um, but it's so much more effective and cost effective. For example, one of our major partnerships has been Ethiopia. It is now, it is now financially self-sustaining, so we don't talk about it as much, but we're still involved. And we still bring encouragement and all that kind of stuff to them. But that was a massive project. It is a massive project. Now we support, uh, now it's financially self-sustaining, but we support 120 church planters who have started about 160 churches now. All over northern Ethiopia and the rural areas. Now imagine, rather than doing that and raising up indigenous church planters, imagine me going to try to do that in rural Ethiopia to try to learn the language and learn the culture and live on their standard of living. I mean, for example, we, a lot of these church planters, we pay with goats. We give them goats. I wouldn't know what to do with a goat. Like, I don't, what do you do with a goat? Like, what am I going to do with this goat? And why would we pay people with goats? It's because of financial sustainability. Because in, in those cultures, um, they know what to do with goats and how to turn goats into milk and in cheese and turn goats into money so that they're not dependent on us to keep writing checks. That they, they can sustain their own ministry as they're building their church with a herd of goats. If you sent me over with a herd of goats, it would not be very effective. You know, it wouldn't last very long. And it would take, if you sent me or any Western missionary, and we, we do have Western missionaries, and there is a place for that, and we support them. But if you sent me as a Western missionary over there, it would cost more than those 120 church planters. So we work through indigenous people, whenever, indigenous people that God has already raised up there whenever we can. And support them. Now, like I said, we do have Western missionaries that we send, but it's always with this in mind to work with the people who are already there, unless it's one of those people groups where there are no Christians there. And then that's a different thing. Um, so we have Western missionaries that train and Western missionaries that support logistically and all that kind of stuff. But, but by and large, we work through indigenous leaders and partners. We also, another part of this, is we center our work around the planting of holistic churches because... We want to care for the whole person, physically and spiritually, um, not just take care of physical needs, but spiritual needs too. We want them to know Jesus, and we want them to grow in the faith. And a lot of problems in the world really require a mindset shift, a heart shift, not just uh, some help, like AIDS, for example, in different parts of Africa. Uh, you can give drugs to help people with AIDS, which is nice, and I think that's a good thing to do, but you also need to actually address the problem if you can change the mindset. Um, to move from sexual promiscuity or to, to have a different attitude towards women, um, not as property, but as something. I mean, there's all kinds of mindset shifts that have to happen. And when Jesus gets into somebody and somebody develops a relationship with Jesus, that can happen. So we're, uh, what God is doing in the world is he's, he's working in the world through his church, and we, uh, we want to join him in that. And then the other part of it is we move from charity to empowerment, giving people the dignity to be self-sustaining. We've, we've already alluded to that with the goats. But we, rather than just making people dependent on us, charity, we want to empower people to be able to get out of poverty. Now, usually I have to start with charity. If somebody's starving, you can't say, hey, I got a job for you. 
somebody's starving, you've got to feed them and you've got to care for them. If somebody's sick, if somebody, right, you, charity's a good thing. But ultimately, we want to move from beyond charity to sustainability, where they did to move out of poverty. That's like locally, we do that with a local good center. The local good center is built around getting people out of poverty. Same thing globally that we want to do. So, for example, one of our partnerships is in Egypt. And I can't introduce you to our partners because it's a Muslim country where Christians are persecuted and we're not going to put a target on them by putting this out on our, on the internet and um, online church. So I can't, I can't talk to you about those two partners, but I can talk to you about some of the, and it's introduced what some of the things that happen in Egypt. Uh, but it's really cool. There's a lot of shalom happening through that. But as an example of sustainability, in addition to job training and things that they do there, uh, we provide microloans to people to get them out of poverty. And it's amazing how little it takes. For example, these are some of the people I met when I was there a few years ago. Um, this lady, um, $150 loan to buy that sewing machine and some material. Uh, that $150 changed her life. She now supports her family. With, and, and she's paid back the loan. And it's a resolve, revolving loan fund. Here's another one. A, a, that's a guy and his son, but he uh, got a loan to start a laundry business, a, a, like a cleaning and ironing business, and that's providing for his family. It was just a few hundred dollars that changes a person's life. Um, this guy, uh, we rode around, it's a little tuk-tuk is what they're called, and they're called that because that's what they sound like, the tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk-tuk. And, um, and it's a fun way to go. It's, a fun, it's way more fun than us having our own cars and driving everywhere, getting these little tuk-tuks and drive around. And, and that's provided for his family, that loan. And in uh, and, and, and the same way with the whole project. I, I mentioned how Ethiopia became self-sustaining because when we enter into a project, uh, in most cases, we try right away to start funding income generation things that make that whole project self-sustaining so it's not dependent on chase oaks church to keep being interested and to keep giving and to keep you know we want it to be uh, fully self-supporting and ethiopia took 10 years to do that and but it's it's going without us and it's going great uh, because of of that philosophy of of ministry so every one of our partners, we think through that grid. And you can learn more about the partnerships in the book. But I want to introduce you to one of our partners, an organization called Orphan Outreach that helps us find and work with indigenous partners in different parts of the world, working among the most vulnerable people in the world, and that is orphans in, these, uh, in, in developing nations. And Ray Diaz, uh, I'll introduce you to you. We're about to see. A, I was able to sit down with him and do a video. He is a Chase Oaker, uh, which is cool. And a leader here and is doing a great job there. And, uh, and so to be introduced to that partnership, which is one of our mission opportunities, short-term opportunities, um, let's watch the screens. Well, I am here with Ray Diaz, who is the CEO of an incredible organization that we as a church have the opportunity to partner with, and that is Orphan Outreach. Ray, thanks so much for being a partner, being part of our church, and, and yes. hanging with us just a little bit. No problem. So you're aware of our mission philosophy as a church, kind of our strategy that as much as possible we try to come around indigenous leaders, people who are already there, and, and we get to come as a resource partner, that mm -hmm. we work through local churches, holistic local churches, as much as possible as well, already there to make them the hero, not necessarily us. Yeah. And, um, and, and so with all those different you know, philosophies of, 
of ministry. We also you know, try to make them self-sustaining, not dependent on us over time. You, you've thought so deeply about mission. Just react to that a little bit. Yeah, I love the way we say that at Chase Oaks because the truth of it is that God's already at work all around the world. He's working right now doing miraculous stuff everywhere. So I feel like our responsibility, our job is to find out where is God working and then plug in alongside, work alongside or partner in Mm -hmm. our sense. So for us, that looks like partnering with national leaders, indigenous leaders and helping them go further, faster, whether that's the local church, whether that's a ministry in these um, impoverished regions. And we see ourselves as when we come alongside, we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We want to add gas to the fire that's already there. So we've seen this play out so many different times around the world where we go to this place. We've never even heard of it until we get there. And when we get there, we find this incredible saint doing incredible work. And we're like, let's just partner with this person. Well, I've gotten to see it up close and it is amazing how you guys do what you do so introduce your just introduce us to yeah. orphan outreach to the organization and what you do and where you do what you yeah. do yeah yeah so orphan outreach is a christian ministry and we work in nine different countries around the world and our mission is to serve orphaned and vulnerable children mm-hmm. and our goal is to have a significant long-term impact in the lives of these children equipping them to be christian leaders in their community. So okay. that's a mouthful. Yeah. Let me paint a picture of what that looks like. Sure. Um, one of the things I do when I travel around the world is I ask children a simple question, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I hear the typical doctor, teacher, lawyer, soccer player, something, right? Here it's influencer. Right. <laughs> influencer, <laughs> YouTuber, that going, that's right. it, it gets yeah. around. And um, I never thought about that question until I had my own two kids and they were asked that question. And my son was responded, I want to be a robot maker because of Iron Man. And I was like, oof, that's going to be tough. Mm, But engineering, I have connections, we can get them to a good school, we Mm -hmm. can make it happen. But really, that question highlights the gap between Mm -hmm. current realities and future hopes and dreams. For my children, that gap is real, but it's not insurmountable. Because my kids have parents, grandparents, uncles and aunts. They're going to stand in the gap for them and form a bridge to help my kids reach their hopes and dreams. For the children that we work with around the world, that gap between reality and future hopes and dreams is like the Grand Canyon. It's immense. And in most cases, it's impossible to cross. Mm -hmm. So for these kids, they have simple things. I want to be in a family that loves me, that cares for me. Mm. I want to live in a safe home. I want to go to school, any school. I want food on a daily basis, Mm -hmm. clean water, medicine. Um, So that gap between their reality and their future hopes and dreams, in most cases, it, they're never going to cross unless something happens, unless God intervenes in a real way. Yeah. Um, but that's what God's doing, and he's doing that all around the world. And mm-hmm. that's where Orphan Outreach comes in. We can come in and be a bridge for these kids. We can walk alongside them, wrap our arms around them, provide education, uh, provide support, counseling, spiritual formation to help them get to their future hopes and dreams. And that might mean we're strengthening their family. It might mean we're putting them in a family. It might mean we're reintegrating them. It, It might mean a bunch of different ways, but that's what we do. We try to help kids get from where their current reality is, a cycle that's vicious, that they're stuck in, into a future that is restored, that God's plan for their lives. Yeah, 
as much as I love hearing it, I know God is like cheering, you know, right now because <laughs> yeah. we know His heartbeat for the Amen. the vulnerable, the orphan, yeah. and the widow. And without intervention, yeah, it's not going to go well for these kids. No. There's nowhere for them to go, nothing for them to do, and it's beautiful to see it. And I got to see it in your work and and that we get to partner with in Honduras last year. And it was it was amazing. I was astounded by it. Talk a little bit about help help us get a picture yeah. for because I think in our minds we just think oh it's an orphanage and there's a bunch of kids there and you feed them. Right. But it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. Yeah. So I love Honduras. I lived there for many years. I have a, a it has a special place in my heart. And um, living there, I got to see firsthand that their child protection system is broken for for various reasons. Mm-hmm. We don't need to get into that right now. But that means there are about 8,000 to 9,000 children in orphanages all around the country. And most of those children, the majority, have families. But the system is so broken that there's a disconnect that's Mm -hmm. happening. So an example, you met the young man who his parents got in a car accident when he was a baby. And they were separated at the hospital. And the parents were told your son is dead so Mm. they buried an empty coffin Mm. and then 15 years later through the work of our staff we were able to find that family and say your your son's alive and he's been in our home for 15 years and to see that family reintegrate is just beautiful yeah but that's one child and there's so many more so part of what our staff is doing is saying we want children in families Mm -hmm. that's god's design that's where a child is going to flourish most if it's possible, in some cases it's not possible, and we do the best we can. Mm-hmm. But in in Honduras specifically, there's lots of children that have families. So can we do the hard work of looking for those families to see if reintegration is possible? And we have seen that in the home we're working in, uh, we have been able to place half the kids back into families, yeah. which is beautiful. And yeah. we're training other groups to do that as well. But that's part of what we do there. And then the other program, it's called NICO, and um, Chase Oaks has been partnering there for, for many years now. It's a community that's a squatter community, community right? So they mm-hmm. have living way below the poverty line. And we work with a local school there, and I love that because I know Chase Oaks also works with local schools mm-hmm. here. And we've told the local school, give us the kids who are furthest behind. Who are the kids that are the troublemakers? And give them to us. We'll put them in our program, and we're going to be a bridge for them. And we're seeing these kids thrive and just get loved on, cared for, supported. They're fed every single day. So it's holistic in nature. And these kids are becoming leaders in that yep. community and they're, they're thriving as well. So that's a little bit of what we're doing in Honduras. And Chase Oaks is a huge part of that. And, and we do get to be part of it, which is so cool. And I want to talk a little bit about how you know, not just the church partners, but, you know, the church is just people. Mm-hmm. And there's opportunities for any Chase Oaker to, every Chase Oaker to engage the partnership. Yeah. So what would that look like? How how can yeah. people engage what's happening? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do believe that Christianity is, is not a spectator sport, right? It's, it's a sport meant to be engaged. So for for missions and for caring for the children, the least and the lost, responding to God's heart, for the ways you can engage are are simple. There's three ways here currently. Um, Chase Oaks is going on a mission trip this Mm -hmm. summer. It's going to be our second trip going to Honduras. And I would love for people, if you're feeling a nudge, to plug in and say, hey, I want to go. If you haven't gone, it's an amazing experience. It gives you perspective. Um, It's a catalyst for our faith. It's just so much for us. 
um, and for the children that we're going to be serving. So that is July 1 1st through the 7th, and there's an information meeting on March 27th. I think there'll be information available on that trip. So that's the number one way you mm -hmm. can do it. Secondly is sponsorship, and I'm a huge advocate for sponsorship for two reasons. Number one, it's been empirically proven to make a difference. Children who are sponsored have better success escaping this poverty than children who are not. So mm -hmm. that's the first reason. Second re reason is it allows for a relationship. And I want people to see this crisis, this needs around the world, not as a statistic, but as a name with a face. And sponsorship allows that. It allows you to write a letter, to pray for the child, to, to have build a relationship with a real child. Yeah. So as a family, we can yeah. wrap around that child. It's, it's beautiful. So for $42 a month, uh, that child is going to receive hope. And what that looks like, education, a meal for most children, that's the only meal they're going to have. Uh, counseling, access to water, I mean, access to support they wouldn't have, and spiritual formation. So it's, it's a great way to get involved. Uh, there'll be information on the website if you're interested in that. And I encourage you to do it as a family, get your family involved. And then the third thing is just to give to Chase Oaks. Like, I'm not just saying that because I'm a Chase Oaker, but I've been here. I love that we are an externally focused church. We're here for good, mm -hmm. locally and globally, and, and we're just one partner, but we have an incredible partner. So if you're not sure and this isn't for you and you feel like, hey, um, this isn't for me, but another ministry is, then go, give to Chase Oaks. They're going to find a way to make sure that we're making a difference around the world. So there you go. Well, Ray, thanks so much for yeah. your leadership at Orphan Outreach in our church as well. And, and let me encourage you to engage um, prayerfully but also in all the ways that we just talked about. It's, it's an amazing thing to be able to partner with God in being his hands and feet uh, all around the world through great friends and partners like this and others. So thanks for being a faithful Chase Oaker, and thank you too, Ray. Yep, no problem. Thank you. So cool that we get to be involved in what we get to be involved in. And, and the needs of the world are so big, but we don't really have to throw up our hands and just say, well, what am I going to do? Uh, we can all collectively join together and be part of what God is doing in the world as he's, with his redemptive mission, bringing real and lasting change as he's bringing shalom all over the place. And I, I hope you'll engage. And uh, as you pray, um, as you give, um, and then consider sponsoring or consider going and, and being part of it that way. So let's uh, bow our heads together and... Uh, and pray that God will guide us as we want to be part of what he's doing. Uh, Father, I thank you and I pray that you will help us as a church know how to better be part of what you're doing in our world. In the world, as you know, you ache for it more than any of us combined, all of us combined. And you see the injustices and you see the need and you see the poverty and you see all the people. You hear all the people crying out to you, wondering if you even exist. And, and Lord, you've given us the charge to be the answer to those prayers, to be your hands and feet, to be your mouth as well. And so, God, would you help us as a church and help us individually be responsible and to be faithful and to be part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen.